Hey everyone, welcome back to the Sunny Go One Piece podcast. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about the anime episodes 19 through 21, which leads to a bit more manga chapter shuffling as we finally get to see Zoro's backstory and flashback that took place in chapter 5 originally, but then we return to the present again with chapters 42 through 45 in the manga. So, a bit of a confusing shuffling there. In addition to seeing the backstory to one of the main characters, finally, we are also introduced to a whole host of brand new awesome characters, including a potential new crew member on this fancy but rowdy sea restaurant. This, in my opinion, is where One Piece really starts to get good and begins its ascension into what is an amazing story. And it all starts with this arc. So, yep, I am really excited to talk about this one. So, let's start off with a synopsis, which is kind of long because this is like two different stories mashed together in these three episodes. So, we begin with Luffy and Usopp testing out their new cannon on the Mary. But then we flash back into Zoro's past with how he got his swords and we learn his path to becoming a swordsman as a kid. We also learn of his rivalry and friendship with a fellow student named Kuina and learn of his motivation of why he dreams of becoming the world's greatest swordsman. Now, cut back to the present, and after accidentally firing on a pair of bounty hunters who are friends with Zoro named Johnny and Yosak, they realize they need to find a cook and are introduced to the Baratier, a floating sea restaurant. There we meet the owner, Zef, and his sous chef, Sanji, along with a whole host of really quirky chefs. However, a pirate prisoner that was being held by a marine lieutenant, Full Body, escapes and demands food, but is promptly beaten up and thrown out. But Sanji decides to feed him anyways in secret, and Luffy, having accidentally damaged the Baratier, deflecting cannon fire from Full Body, is forced to work it off, and obviously, hilarity ensues. So that's just a really quick rundown of the episode. I'm gonna go into a couple differences that occur between the manga and the anime. So I will definitely go into more detail on this difference, but the first half and the end to Zoro's flashback have been added to lengthen it to fit, it to fit an entire episode. In the manga, it's only about six or seven pages, or about half a chapter, and it only covers the second half of pretty much the, what's shown in the anime. Another interesting changed detail is that when Johnny gets angry with Full Body for mocking them about only going after small bounties, And throws all the wanted posters to show Full Body. We see Nami pick one up and become visibly disturbed by it. In the manga, it's shrouded and never revealed who it is, other than the silhouette, which kind of has like a long nose. But in the anime, we clearly see the name on the poster is Arlong, and a much clearer outline and silhouette in the wanted poster of who would become Arlong. My guess is, is when Oda was at that point in writing the story, he didn't quite know what Arlong would look like or who, what he would even name that character, which is probably why he leaves it blank. And it's actually something he does throughout the series when he, he wants to tease something, but he doesn't quite have the, the conceptual design or the conceptual idea quite fully fleshed out yet. And my guess is, is this is just an,、uh, an early example of that. This last change, I honestly don't know why it was changed. I'm completely at a loss because it seems so random, but 
Luffy uses Gom Gom in a balloon in the manga to deflect Full Body's cannonball, but in the anime he uses Gom Gom in a slingshot. And <laughs> this change seems to make no sense why they would actually change it. And honestly, if you have a theory or the actual reason why this was changed, please let me know, because this is something I've always wondered my entire life. Alrighty, so let's dive into this episode with my thoughts. So yeah, 16 episodes late, but we are finally getting Zoro's past with his flashback. As I originally mentioned in the first podcast, that his past originally was supposed to be revealed just before he was going to be executed by Morgan. And like I mentioned in that episode, I really felt this should have been revealed back then. It's just so important to who Zoro is and what drives him. And it seems crazy that we've gone so long without knowing this. Anyways, now that we get this flashback, we get to see how Zoro got his swords, why he wants to become the world's greatest swordsman, and a lot more about his childhood. So this was, as mentioned in the differences section, extended to fit an entire episode, as this in the manga is about half the length and begins where Zoro loses his 2000th match versus Queena. The anime shows all the way back to when Zoro comes to the dojo for the first time and him becoming a student. A couple details that I really hate about this additional content in the anime though. That part where he first challenges Kuina, it's shown him trying to stuff all these shinais in his mouth. As well as during his early training, he's building up his mouth strength. As if right from the get-go, he wanted to use three sword style. But since none of this is in the manga, the way I always interpreted it when I first read it was the three sword style was something that was decided later on. We see Zoro using two sword style as that is a normal traditional sword fighting style along with the single sword style, which we all know. But the reason he trains even harder to gain the skills and strength to adopt three sword style later on was after Queena's death so that he could honor and carry Queena's sword dreams and her spirit with him in addition to the two swords that he uses when he goes out on his journey to become the greatest swordsman. In effect, he's carrying her with him wherever he goes and any accomplishment he attains, they will also be hers as well. So the idea that the three sword style was just some arbitrary thing to him, I always absolutely hated and to me, this is always going to be my head canon, even if the anime is revealed to be the one true canon. I just don't like the idea that Zoro all of a sudden wanted to do three sword style. I like the fact that he adopts the three sword style in memory of Queena's death and he trains extra hard to be able to use that third sword because of her death. There's the other th important theme in this episode of sexism. Queena is clearly the strongest student in the dojo, even stronger than Zoro. And... <laughs> He's, she's also strong enough to beat the adults too, crazily enough. Yet her father won't let her inherit the dojo when he retires because he believes a woman can't be strong enough to lead a dojo, to which Queen is understandably upset about this. However, it's awesome that Zoro is one of the few people that none of that matters to him. He sees her for her strength and skills and takes her seriously as a rival and a goal to be overcome. I like the point that Zoro makes that if it really is that the sexist view is true, then all his effort to beat her will be pointless, and he's just wasting his time. They then make that faithful promise to each other that one of them will become the greatest swordsman in the world. Although, sadly, Queena passes away suddenly from just falling downstairs. As a kid, I always thought this was kind of stupid and anticlimactic, but as an adult, I kind of see that in everyday life, 
life's not this grand thing where we get to die epically or some some amazing way in profound manners and sometimes tragedies just happen for no reason and I really recognize that as an adult more and more, and I don't really have a problem with this anymore. Zoro crying and asking for Krina's sword is always a really sad moment that makes me tear up every time. Even to this day, we realize that he's not only trying to live up to his own dreams, but he's now carrying Krina's as well. And speaking of the sword, we learn the name of that sword as well as this being our first named sword in the world of One Piece called the Wado Ichimonji, which means straight line through the path of harmony, which is an awesome name for a sword. And this sword is awesome. I hope to one day maybe get a replica of this sword because it's cool. It's all white. It's very sleek. And it's it's got a major impact in the story of One Piece and to the character of Zoro. So once we get back to the present, we see Luffy and Usopp messing around with the cannon on the Going Merry, with Usopp displaying his exceptional sharpshooting skills and is dubbed the sniper of the crew by Luffy after seeing him bullseye a rock formation from a hell of a long distance away. They all start to talk about what other crew members they need before heading to the Grand Line. And this is where Luffy's famous running joke of wanting a musician <laughs> above all else be because his reasoning is because pirates sing. And this is where that running joke starts. I absolutely love this joke because it's not really used too much, but his desire for a musician is a running joke that runs for a long time, and it always gets a chuckle out of me each time it surfaces. During their conversation, the ship all of a sudden is under attack from some guy in sunglasses seeking revenge for attacking him and his partner. However, it turns out that he's actually a friend and bounty hunter partner from Zoro's past named Johnny, and his partner Yosak is is sick currently and they they were resting on that rock when Usopp and Luffy shot it. Luffy and Usopp's reaction here is pretty funny as they're horrified to find out that they may have caused Yosak's condition and maybe lead to his death. But Nami quickly diagnoses Yosak with scurvy and prescribes him some lime juice. And this next part is just so funny because it plays the joke pretty subdued and is treated almost like a secondary thing to the to the focus of the scene so the tone and focus of the scene is nami describing the seriousness and danger of scurvy and seafaring without proper nutrition while you see usopp and luffy just covering yosak's face with lime juice most of it missing his mouth entirely <laughs> and but then it cuts away to only cut back to now yosak's mouth comically stuffed with all the lime rinds there must be like eight of them in there just being shoved in there <laughs> by Luffy and Usopp in desperation to try and cure Yosak. And then the tone finally completely shifts to comedic as Yosak wakes up all of a sudden and is completely fine with with him and Johnny dancing around with that hilarious chant, woo hi, woo hi. <laughs> I always love seeing that. And then Nami just interrupting them and yelling at them like it would clear that easily. <laughs> After having seen this, they all come to the realization that the next crew member they need is a cook. So Johnny leads them to the infamous sea restaurant, the Baratier. 
Just before they get to B- the Baratier, they run into a marine lieutenant named Full Body. This starts another hilarious trend of Oda naming some of the marines he introduces with some ridiculous name, and Full Body is one of those, is I think the first example of that. Not too much of note happens with him except for one thing. He mocks Yosaka Johnny for only targeting small fry bounties, and Johnny throws all the bounty posters that they're targeting to show they aren't just small time, but One catches Nami's eyes and it really shakes her up as she picks it up and stares at it. We never see her face, but you can tell by her body shaking here that it's filled with anger and fear and she's visibly disturbed by it. In the manga, like I said, we don't really get a good look, but in the anime, you can clearly still make out the outline of the face and the name Arlong. This obviously is another breadcrumb laid down by Oda of Nami's past and hatred for pirates, and this Arlong seems to be the reason for her hatred of pirates. Before descending to the restaurant, Full Body orders his men to fire on the Straw Hats for some reason, and Luffy deflects this. But he accidentally fires it back at the Baratier, taking a huge chunk off the roof and injuring the owner, Chef Zeph. Can I just say how much I love Zeph's design here? This grizzled old man with a peg leg and a three foot long braided mustache on either side and a chef's hat that's almost as tall as him. Like what a memorable character design. And everything you need to know about him is conveyed in his introduction. He's gruff and tough, but is also fair and honest too. And Luffy's subsequent reaction to him thinking he blew off Zeph's leg with the cannonball as well as his negotiating with him on how to repay him for the damages is hilarious. I love that exchange between him and Zeph. And now to rewind a bit, we finally get to meet the Baratier's sous chef, Sanji. And Sanji just oozes cool. I'm not going to beat around the bush and this isn't a hot take or anything, but I love Sanji. He does have his flaws though, I admit. I've never really been a fan of his sort of pervy and womanizing ways to the point where it is problematic later on in the story. But overall, the good just greatly outweigh the negatives with this character. And Oda does such a great job showing us who Sanji is in the first scene where he's serving full body and his date. He's suave, quick-witted, has a love for the ladies, doesn't take crap from people, has a short temper, takes great pride in cooking, and absolutely hates it when people waste food. All in like the span of like three a three-minute scene. Although with Sanji, there is definitely one more trait that hasn't been revealed yet, and we'll learn about a little later. <laughs> one thing I wanted to mention about this scene, though, and one thing I n- was never really on board with, and it wasn't his or the restaurant's fault per se as the bug was planted on full body but Sanji is suggesting to eat around the bug in a bowl of soup I can kind of see maybe eating around like a solid food and cutting off the portion the bug is touching but soup is just everywhere I mean at that point I'd be like nope I'm not eating the rest of that soup (laughs) I mean the bug basically is touching everything you don't know where the rest of the soup is mixed but I think I chalk that to Sanji knowing that he planted the bug so he's probably just forcing him to eat it at this point Zeph and Luffy fall through the ceiling and as Sanji and Zeph are arguing as we see that even though Sanji is the longest tenured chef there he and Zeph have a pretty contentious relationship when all of a sudden one of full body's marine soldiers comes to warn one one of the prisoners has escaped and then is promptly gunned down by that said prisoner 
He sits down and asks them to bring him food since Full Body has been starving him while imprisoned. But Patty, one of the other prominent chefs, seeing that this man is unable to pay promptly, beats him up and throws him out. This next part is probably one of my favorite moments in this arc and in the series in general. We see Sanji quietly leave to go prepare food and Zeph also sees what Sanji is doing out of the corner of his eye but doesn't protest or say anything and just kind of watches, I guess. The pirate is outside now struggling as he's just taken a beating and is already starving and the br- on the brink of death with Luffy looking on curiously. And then Sanji arrives and puts down a tray of seafood r- fr- fried rice and water for this man. He initially refused the food, but eventually Sanji convinced him that dying for pride is good and all, but wouldn't it be better to swallow that pride and survive another day? And of course, Gin eventually relents and starts eating. And the way Gin wolfs down that food and the way he's drawn slash animated just shows so many emotions he's feeling. The desperation, the gratitude, the hunger, the overwhelming fear all just come pouring out. And the voice actor here for for this man is amazing. And people always mock early One Piece for its goofy art style, but I think this is one of the many reasons why it's so great. It allows for these over-exaggerated faces to really convey just how strongly all these emotions are being felt by this man here. And we eventually go on to find out that this man, his name is Ging, who is part of the Krieg Pirates. And later, you can see it really changes him because of the immense kind gesture that Sanji just showed him. And this is the final piece to Sanji's character that was smartly left out of our initial view of Sanji as this sort of womanizing, quick-tongued asshole type. But really, Sanji's biggest quality is his kindness above all, especially to those who are in need of food. Because we get another quick line about how he knows better than anyone what it's like to be out in the ocean without any food. So clearly something happened with Sanji where he had some experience that left him starving. Luffy seeing all this immediately decides that Sanji is going to be his cook. Like I said, I absolutely love this scene seeing how good natured Sanji is. And the raw emotions displayed by Gin is just incredibly cathartic to watch. I'd also like to think that even though Gin was just this ruthless pirate who just shot a marine soldier was changed a bit for the better because of this kind gesture displayed by Sanji. It just gets me even more excited that Luffy invites him to be part of the crew. Sanji, that is, not Ging. Sanji refuses Luffy's invitation, stating he's got some reason he can't leave, but of course Luffy's selfish and bullheaded nature comes out in funny fashion here. (laughs) And one of Luffy's famous lines of refusing Sanji's refusal. Then Ging formally introduces himself And this next part is mostly exposition, but it's delivered in a fairly interesting way by mixing it into normal conversation among the three of them, as well as uh, cutaways to the other chefs in the kitchen, kind of building up the mystery and danger of both the Grand Line and this arc's main villain, Dong Krieg. Both being presented as these ominous things not to be messed with, but the fact that Krieg is being built up as this fearsome pirate and then being juxtaposed by Gein saying that the Krieg pirates are scared of the Grand Line after having been there elevates the Grand Line to this monstrous status of an entity that our protagonists are crazily enough aiming to go to. And I love how those two things build on each other with, you know, the cook saying how scary Dong Krieg is, but then how Dong Krieg's crew and Dong Krieg himself are now scared of the Grand Line. And it just sort of 
elevates both things, and it's it's pretty incredible storytelling right there. As the scene moves back to Sanji, Gin, and Luffy, Zeph finds them all, and Gin here is worried Sanji's gonna get in trouble for feeding him, but Sanji, in another act of kindness and awesomeness, just tells him not to worry because he tosses the quote-unquote evidence, and there's nothing to get in trouble over. Seeing this just cements to Gin just how great of a man Sanji is, and I love that Gin has changed into a seemingly almost different person but very organically he seems much more friendly quieter and less like intimidating and the fact that he was so affected by this man's kindness that saved his life and changed and it changed him for the better it's interesting too because for me it's weird that i really like gang even in the few short scenes he's in we know he's done terrible things and even his introduction is seemingly murdering a marine soldier albeit you know people that have starved him yet we see people can change especially when you come into contact with the straw hat members this also plays into the theme of moral grayness that i mentioned in the first episode that people change and there are good pirates and there are bad marines and kind of flip-flops between the two and not only that but people can go between the two within each group good pirates can go bad bad pirates can go good good marines can go bad and bad marines can go good like it's just it's so interesting to see and how characters just dynamically change between long stretches of the time or even just over short times Okay, so this next section is easily one of the funniest moments still to this day in One Piece. And that is Luffy working as a chore boy. Holy hell, this scene is so freaking funny. I honestly can't do it justice, but I'm going to try. I think it's just how it's contrasted with the kitchen staff being mainly the focus and Luffy's kind of just off in the background as a as a secondary afterthought. But he's just being absolutely useless and destructive. It's so funny to watch as it gets progressively worse how incompetent Luffy is. My favorite joke has got to be the dishwashing, or I should say the dish breaking scene. This scene kills me every time because the camera is on the chefs and in the back you hear the constant breaking of dishes and then it cuts to Luffy just nonchalantly dropping dish after dish until it then moves back to Patty and the chef's realizing the noise and Patty then yelling to Luffy, how many dishes have you broken? And then Luffy's response being, oh, sorry, I haven't been counting. Patty and our response to this is obviously, that's not the point. The fact that we as the viewer and reader and Patty are on the same page makes this even funnier to me. Just Luffy's sort of absent-mindedness at breaking the dishes and he does this all with this blank, like, straight face. It's so damn funny. Luffy eventually gets sent out to take orders as he's a walking disaster in the kitchen, only to find that the rest of the crew is sitting enjoying a nice meal. And of course, Luffy gets jealous at that and throws throws a booger in Zoro's water. I love moments like this, to be honest. These lighthearted moments where the crew is just hanging out and messing around with each other. It's something that we don't get very often because obviously, you know, action and adventure take priority and world building. But it's actually some of my favorite moments of the series. And for one, these moments are so good because the characters are so well developed and it's genuinely interesting to see to see them play off each other. Like Nami and Usopp slowly becoming closer friends. <laughs> After seeing Luffy drop the booger, we see them snickering to each other uh, quietly as Zoro brings the glass up to his mouth. <laughs> as well as Zoro mocking Luffy with all the good food, 
while it looks like Zoro might actually drink the booger water, it smash cuts to him stuffing the water in Luffy's mouth and making him drink it. And then all the while Sanji hearing this, he comes over and here we see the start of Sanji's ever-evolving infatuation with Nami as well as Zoro's annoyance at Sanji's antics. And just like with Usopp, we get to now see how Sanji's personality fits in with the rest of the crew. And it's awesome to see because they all fit so well. And they play with each other in very interesting dynamics. I also just want to take some time to appreciate Hiroaki Hirata's voice acting here for Sanji. He does such an amazing job with Sanji. He can do the cool, suave Sanji, the short-tempered, angry Sanji, the badass Sanji, and now the love-struck Sanji. They're all very distinct voices and different and just shows another amazing talent on display here with a potential crew member. Couple more things. We see Zeph telling Sanji that he doesn't really need him and wants him out of the restaurant. Obviously, this scene is meant to show us that Zeph and Sanji hate each other for some reason and begrudgingly work together for some debt that Sanji owes Zeph. Most likely related to that story of him starving for some reason and even before i knew what was going to happen on my first read through i always felt this was zeph's aggressive way of getting sanji to go out and pursue his dreams just based on how he didn't seem to reprimand him for defying everyone and feeding ging earlier but we will we'll learn more about both of these later on and then lastly the cliffhanger for this episode is that ging has regrouped with the rest of the dong creek pirates to find that they're in just as bad a shape as he was and informs them there is a restaurant where they could all get food. So yeah, is Ging going to betray and sell out Sanji's kindness in favor of his captain? I guess we'll have to wait till next episode to see. In closing, yeah, I absolutely love these episodes. We really start to see One Piece find its footing when it comes to its storytelling, comedy, and the characters. There's just so many fun and amazing characters. It just keeps getting better and better. Not to mention, we start to see more interaction and cohesion with the main crew. And I seriously can't wait till next week's podcast, especially talking about episode 24. Oh my god, I'm so excited to talk about episode 24. Anyways, if you enjoyed this, send me a like or comment. And if you want to join me on this journey of rewatching One Piece, please consider subscribing. Also, check out my Instagram and Twitter account at SunnyGoPodcast. If you want updates of when I post new episodes or see some pictures of my manga collection. And I also point out some of the differences in the manga that I mention here in actual picture form. So yeah, I really appreciate it. As always, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to listen to my podcast. And I hope to see you on the next episode. I will stick around to talk about some spoilers. So if you want to stick around for that, I will get some spoiler thoughts out as well. Thank you very much. See ya. So, spoiler section. Nothing too big in the way of spoilers. Obviously, I'm really hyped for many things introduced in these episodes with Arlong and Mihawk being teased here. The Arlong Park arc is easily the crown jewel of the first saga in the East Blue. And I love that we're finally getting the cogs going on that storyline. As well as, you know, obviously the musician joke. We all finally now have our musician with Brooke. It took a hell of a long time. And honestly, I'm kind of glad that it took so long because every time that musician joke came up, I loved seeing it. And I cannot... 
And I can't tell you how excited I was when Brooke was introduced as a musician and a potential crew member. So yeah, we'll definitely talk more about Brooke when we get to Thriller Bark. But the last thing I wanted to mention, I was also really surprised that Oda brought back full body and even slightly redeemed under the command of Hina. But we still have yet to see Ging, who I really like as a character and hope he does eventually show up again in some fashion. But I always found it interesting that in the beginning here, Oda chose to reform three marines, I guess two marines and one pirate in the beginning, starting with Helmeppo, and then we get Django and Full Body and make them part of the good marines later on in the series. The thing is, most of the marines, I guess, are never really bad. I mean, they all joined because they had a sense of justice and wanted to do some good in the world, but they become complacent and let power get to their heads. But once they suffer defeats at the hand of usually the Straw Hats, and see the good they actually end up doing with their actions. I think it really makes them rethink what they're actually doing when, when a pirate does their job of helping and protecting people better than them. And it re-motivates them to actually do better. I don't really have any evidence of this. It's just kind of my own thoughts and headcanon as to like why these characters seem to come back as better people. Anyways, that's it for the spoiler section. Not too many things to really talk about. But I really appreciate you all listening, and I will see you on the next episode. Thank you, and see you later.